Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Here we go. I think we're going. Cool. All right, everybody. Happy Fourth of July. Okay, fine. Sad Fourth of July, I guess. Bummed out Fourth of July. Uh, heat stroke Fourth of July, maybe for some of you. Um, something cool to share with you. I've said this before, but like, I've been really looking forward to this day specifically for like years, actually. Today, Fourth of July, 2021. It marks a very, very significant day for me as an individual. Uh, today is the day when I cross through the threshold of belonging to Ebony Logue for more than I haven't, like more days in my life than I haven't. I've, we've been together for longer than we've been apart. And so I don't know, it's just a really cool, uh, really cool thing. I love you. You're incredible. I'm so grateful to be your husband. Yeah. Fireworks, I'm totally going to kiss you. Uh, so yes, special day for me, but I hope that this weekend is special for you. I know that there's a lot of challenging things happening in our community, a lot of painful things happening, but also at the same time, uh, some wonderful things. And I feel like that's kind of life, isn't it? You have the pain, the reality of a broken, fallen world, and the things that we experience, ways that things that are not the way they're supposed to be. And at the same time, you have these wonderful, beautiful, dare I even say God bringing in grace into situations that's like, it's the both and, it's the duality of it. And we get to live in the tension of that. And so I pray and hope that for many of you that not just this weekend, but this summer can really be a time where we can gain the perspective necessary um, to really um, be as present as we can in life uh, through the joys and also through the sorrows and knowing that what lies ahead of us is the redemption and the renewal of all things. So love you guys very much. Stoked to be here this morning. We are going to be jumping back into our series going through the gospel of John. Uh, the series is entitled Jesus Is. We are wanting to learn and explore as much as we possibly can about who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for us. And frankly, in my personal opinion, uh, the Gospel of John is my favorite of the four Gospels, and it showcases who Jesus is in a unique and a spectacular and a special way. Um, now, what's cool about this is we're kind of coming to the end of this series. We'll, we'll finish off this series next month. But this is the 60th, 6-0, message in this series with, I love saying it, it's like chuckling because it's like, oh yeah, we've been in this series for a really long time, kind of off and on, but the 60th message. And today we come to really the climax of the, the book, the climax of the letter, the climax of John's eyewitness account. We get to the crucifixion today. Typically this would be like a, a, a passage that you grab a hold of um, around Easter, kind of leading to the cross and everything. But today we get to the crucifixion and I think it's actually really appropriate because of all the days for this passage of this series to fall on, it falls on the 4th of July. And I think it's appropriate because 
you and I would agree, I would hope, that the cross of Jesus is really the only thing. The cross of Jesus alone is what provides true freedom to a person. Like I'm so, I'm genuinely grateful to have grown up in this country to be a citizen, to be an American and the, the liberties that we have and they're wonderful, they're great. I don't wanna take anything away from those, but they do nothing for my soul. They do nothing to provide freedom for my soul. Only the cross of Jesus can provide freedom for the person's soul. So the Christian, especially the American Christian, we can genuinely give ourselves over to celebrating the freedoms and liberties that we have as Americans, and it's a wonderful, beautiful gift. It's God's grace on our lives. But there's something that transcends the 4th of July when it comes to freedom, and it's the cross of Jesus. And I love that that's where we're at today in this passage. And if you've ever looked at the cross of Jesus before, you know it's absolutely brutal. It's absolutely brutal, okay? There's really nothing more brutal than the cross of Jesus, and yet at the same time, I would argue there's nothing more beautiful ever than the cross of Jesus. So go ahead, grab your Bibles. We are going to be in John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, there'll be words on the screen for you. Uh, I'm typically in the Christian Standard Bible. That's where I'll be most of the time this morning. Now, today's passage, just really quickly, today's passage will seem familiar, really familiar to many of you that are journeying with us going through the New Testament 90 days because we read this passage this week. I want to encourage you, if for whatever reason you've taken a break or life has gotten crazy and you've had to skip a couple weeks or a couple days or whatever, I want to encourage you to jump back in. Don't feel the need to like, I have to get caught up, I'm so far behind, whatever. No, no, no. Like, jump, in tomorrow. jump in on Monday, jump in tomorrow. This has been such a rich time for me personally. I've had conversations with many of you. I know it's been a rich time of you encountering God through his word. We eat and speak, all that stuff. If you have more questions, you can go on the website, restoredtomeco.church, and under resources, it'll say New Testament 90 days to kind of give you a glimpse of what we're doing together as a church journeying through the New Testament. But I wanted to say that because for many of you, would be like, oh, we just read this. Yeah, we did. And we did it together, and it's been a beautiful thing. For those of you that have maybe paused, jump back in, okay? So, John chapter 19, before we jump into the scriptures, I want to pray for our time. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the many blessings in our lives. Uh, there's no doubt, um, there's no doubt brokenness all around us. But equally, there's no doubt blessing all around us. And I just pray, Spirit of God, that you would enlighten us this morning um, to really see the blessings all around us, to see and experience your goodness despite the brokenness, your glory and your grace in and through all things. Would you point us to Jesus? Would you help me? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit? to love and to serve the way that you would, Jesus, if you were standing on this rug. And so I love you and I praise you. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so here's what I'm gonna do with this passage, okay? There are not a whole lot of verses in this passage, but there's so much detail here. So I'm gonna kind of go through this a little slowly. So bear with me, okay? Track with me. I'm gonna read like a verse and then talk for a bit and read another verse and talk a little bit. I don't typically do this, sometimes I will. But the reason I'm doing this, like I said, is because there's so much detail here in this passage that if we just read through it fast, we're gonna miss it. 
sort of like your life, right? If you fly to it through fast, you're going to miss it. Same thing with this passage, okay? So bring you up to speed. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, he has just sentenced Jesus to death via crucifixion, okay? And he did this because he's a coward. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about how he abdicates, right? Pilate abdicates. He, he fails to do the right thing, and he gives in to the demands of the Jewish crowd that are shouting for him to crucify Jesus, God in the flesh. That's where we pick up here, okay? John chapter 19, starting in verse 17, it says this. Carrying the cross by himself, he, Jesus, went out to what is called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Okay, pause for just a second. Believe it or not, there's a ton <laughs> in this verse, okay? Now, just to kind of set the stage even more, Jesus at this point, he's carrying his cross already, right? He's been, he's been sentenced to execution via crucifixion. He's already bleeding profusely at this point, okay? They flogged him prior to this. If you remember what flogging is, just think whips with stuff at the end that tears your flesh open, okay? So he is bleeding profusely at this point. And, and typically what they would do with, with crucifixions is you have the kind of vertical beam of the cross, right? You with me? The vertical beam of the cross, and that would be at the execution site. Now, the cross beam, uh, that would be carried on the person's shoulders. And that cross beam of the cross would weigh typically around 100 pounds. So this is not the lightest thing in the world, okay? So that's what Jesus is carrying here. Now, what I want you to see, what I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing is in this one verse that we just read, there are several references to the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament, right? Several references to the Old Testament. So there's a lot here, like I said. Now, one of the things uh, that you need to be aware of is in every single New Testament account leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have accounts of, of, the, of the, what took place leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and during his crucifixion. In all of them, including John, there is absolutely no indication whatsoever of Jesus resisting at all. Think about that for a second. He doesn't resist at all. He takes up his cross, and it says he went out. Here's why that's remarkable. Resisting was incredibly common. And I would say it goes beyond just being common. It was expected because of how brutal crucifixion was. This is like the nastiest way to be executed, dare I say, in the history of the world. Okay? It was absolutely brutal, but Jesus, but Jesus didn't resist. And he didn't resist just as it was prophesied that he wouldn't generations prior. Let me read you this out of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Check this out. He, this is written about the Messiah, generations before Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't resist his, crucifix, his crucifixion at all, okay? Now, I don't know if you noticed it, it also says that he went out. He went out where? It's referring to Jesus going outside the city walls. So imagine, you know, you have an ancient city, right? It's this big kind of conglomeration of dwelling places and meeting places and, you know, just picture an ancient city. They all have these walls for protection around the city, and so it's referring to Jesus going outside of the city walls, just outside of the city. And according to Exodus and Leviticus, these are Old Testament books, 
sin offerings, so offerings that the people, would, the people of God would make to God to kind of cover their sins, sin offerings were to be taken outside of the camp, which is basically like a temporary city. Sin offerings outside the camp. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time with this, but if you're familiar with sin offerings, you know the people of God would slaughter animals and it was the blood of those animals that would atone for the sins of the people. That's a sin offering, right? Because the wages of sin is death. God is holy, right? He cannot be near. He wants to be present with his people. He cannot be present with sinners because he's holy, not because he's bad and mean, but because he's so good. And so the people of God to atone for their sins, sin, the wages of sin is death. There's a punishment involved. There has to be justice for there to be love and for there to be order, for there to be order and for there to be everything. And so the people of God would make these sacrifices outside of the camp. So I want you to see the parallels here. I want you to see the parallels here. The, uh, the author of Hebrews in the New Testament, he, he draws these same parallels. Check out what he writes in Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 11 and 12. I want you to get this imagery, okay? Stay with me. I want you to get the imagery of the parallels between Old Testament sin sacrifices happening outside the camp and what's happening in this very moment in this passage in John with Jesus. He writes this. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. The gate would be like the gate of the city. So that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. So Jesus was to be this great once and for all sin offering for God's people. Okay, And it parallels how the sin offerings were handled in the past. How he suffered outside the city. You with this? Great. Now, customarily when a man was crucified... They would lead him to the execution site, like through the city, all right? And they would take the longest route possible. So it wouldn't just be like, okay, straight shot down this boulevard, out, out the gate of the wall to the execution site. They would parade them all throughout the city. Let me read you a quote from a scholar. He says this, quote, The routine of crucifixion was always the same. When the case had been heard and the criminal condemned, the judge, the judge uttered the faithful sentence, you will go to the cross. The verdict was carried out there and then, so no delay. The condemned man was placed in the center of a company of four Roman soldiers. So imagine, center, four Roman soldiers around him, right? It continues, his own cross was placed upon his shoulders, that cross beam, Right? Often the criminal had to be lashed and goaded along the road, so along the route, to keep him on his feet as he staggered to the place of crucifixion. Before him walked an officer with a placard on which was written the crime for which he was to die and he was led through as many streets as possible on the way to execution. Listen to this. There was a double reason for that. There was the grim reason that as, many as, that as many as possible should see and take warning from his fate, but there was also a merciful reason, it says. The placard was carried before the condemned man and the long route was chosen so that if anyone could still bear witness in his favor, he might come forward and do so. In such a case, the procession was halted and the case retried, end quote. So I don't know if you caught this, they would take the longest route through the city on the way to the execution site for two reasons. 
The first reason was to show the people this is what happens when you mess with Rome. Okay, this is what happens when you disobey the, the governor. This is what happens when, like, crime doesn't pay, essentially. Okay, so they prayed them through the streets so that all the people could see this is what happens when you mess with Rome. And the second thing was it was to give, an, uh, it was to give time and to give opportunity for anybody to speak up in the person's defense for the crime that they were being killed for. You tracking with me? And if there was a defense, they would delay and even sometimes overturn the crucifixion. Here's the thing. Nobody came to Jesus' defense. Not one person. Not even his disciples. Yet another prophecy fulfilled. Check out Psalm 31, verse 11. Written generations before Jesus. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. Listen to this. Those who see me in the street run from me. So Jesus, get the picture, guys. You gotta like image or imagine this in your mind. Jesus is carrying his cross beam on his back through the streets of Jerusalem on his way to the execution site. It says the place of the skull. Golgotha. If you've heard of Calvary, that word Calvary, that's, I think it's Latin. Yeah, it's Latin for the place of the skull. So they're all synonymous. Place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary. It's the execution site where Jesus is crucified. Let's keep reading verse 18 here in John. There, Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. There, they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Okay, pause again. Three words, man. Three words, they crucified him. John only uses three words to describe the most horrific, the most brutal way to die in the ancient world. Here's the thing, he did not need to go into detail because the original readers, they knew just how gnarly crucifixion was. They were very familiar with it. They were very disturbed by it because like I said, it's about the most horrific way a person can die. Now you guys know about crucifixion too. You're not, you're not blind to it. You know that it involves you know, your hands being nailed to wood, your feet being crossed over and one nail going into both feet and then being propped up high and then hanging on the cross. Like you, you, we, most people know about crucifixion. Let me read you another quote from a Bible scholar. He says this, just on this idea of crucifixion. For hours, if not days, the victim would hang in the heat of the sun, stripped naked and struggling to breathe. In order to avoid asphyxiation, he had to push himself up with his legs and pull with his arms, triggering muscle spasms that caused almost unimaginable pain. So you can get this idea. Nail on your feet, you're using that to prop up. Nails in your hands, you're using that to prop up so that you can breathe because you're suffocating in that position. He goes on to say, the end would come through heart failure, brain damage caused by reduced oxygen supply, suffocation, and shock. Atrocious physical agony, length of torment, and public shame 
combined to make crucifixion a most horrible form of death, end quote. So what I want you to take from that is the nails aren't what kill a person, okay? It's, it's, it's much actually worse than that. It was the suffocation, right? And so you have this physical pain with this public shame and with the, the panic of I can't breathe while you're experiencing like the most gnarly physical agony you can. It's like a trifecta of torture, okay? It's, it's torture on every single level. And John leaves out the details. He leaves out the details because everybody knew. But there's another reason why John leaves out the details. Because as brutal as crucifixion was, it wasn't the climax of Jesus' suffering. You see, in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of this time, all four accounts, there's only one place where Jesus cries out in agony. It's in Matthew, chapter 27, verse 46. So Matthew's account of the same thing we're reading in John says this. This is the only time where Jesus cries out in agony. Verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some translations don't say abandoned. Some translations say, why have you forsaken me? You see, the, the physical pain of Jesus' crucifixion, it came in second to the pain of being what? Spiritually separated from his heavenly father. I mean, this is the incarnate God who has existed before all things with God the Father, God the Spirit, the triune God. Like each person of the Trinity living to glorify the other two. Like God is a community of three people who exist to glorify the other two in perfect union, lacking absolutely nothing, fully satisfied. The physical pain of Jesus' crucifixion, it came in second to the pain of being spiritually separated from his heavenly father. Like, friends, can you think of anything more devastating than being separated from someone you love? I can't. Can you? Listen, I, I know most of you in the room, most of us have tasted what that feels like. And it's the absolute worst. Dude, like I, even like, even when it's just in your mind, like I've had nightmares. You ever have nightmares? Like I've had nightmares where they're vivid. You ever have like those really vivid nightmares where they're real and you can like feel it and it's like, it feels like real life. I've had nightmares where like Ebony's being like taken from me and it's this like, I wake up and I'm like, ah! like I'm just, I'm, I'm so unsettled and I'm so like, I, it takes me even like an hour after waking up in the middle of the night to calm down or my girls being taken from it. Do you guys, if you guys ever had any terrible nightmares like this before, am I the only person that dreams like this? Like I've had those experiences and they're not even real and they're, they unsettle me to the deepest core of my being. There's nothing more devastating than being separated from someone you love. Let me read you a quote from Kent Hughes. 
Bible scholar says this, quote, we can begin to visualize the horror Christ endured for us on the cross. Still, listen to this, that agony was just a shadow of the misery he experienced when our sins were poured upon him. And as a result, the infinitely greater horror of separation from the Father. This was so horrible that he who never complained or reviled throughout the whole ordeal cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Physical agony was nothing compared to the spiritual horror of separation. The physical pain of Jesus' crucifixion, it came in second to the pain of being spiritually separated from his father. Now, this passage, it also tells us that he was crucified between two criminals. So you can get the picture, Jesus crucified in the center, two criminals, one on each of his, one on his left, one on his right, crucified next to him, yet another prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12 this time says this, therefore I will give him the many as portion and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Another prophecy, back to John, okay? Verse 19. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Okay, pause again. So the sign that they would put on the cross when people were crucified, was, it was the crime that, they, that that person committed, okay? And now because of the location of the execution site, so because of the location of Calvary, Golgotha, place of the school, all the same, because of the location that right outside the city, a bunch of people would have seen him. Okay, so I want you to imagine nowadays, it's like if you are on the freeway and you're cruising into like a major metropolitan era, area and like right before you come into the city where all the people are, there's all the billboards, there's all the signs, okay, that are advertising things, whatever. The reason why they place those billboards there is because of what? The traffic level. There's all these people that are gonna see it. This is modern day advertising for the Roman government. Don't mess with Rome. Okay, Jesus is a human billboard. Are you tracking with this? Okay, so all these people coming and going from the city, okay, about to step through the gate, the wall, into the city, right outside of that, all the people coming and going are gonna see Jesus on this cross with that sign. And it says that that sign was written in three languages. Here's what you need to know about that. All three of those languages, it basically covers all the people. So anybody who can read is gonna be reading in one of those three languages, so it covers all the bases. Everyone's going to see this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. All right? All the people would have seen and all the people would have understood what was going on. Let's jump back in. Verse 21. We're getting close, guys. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. Okay, so these Jews, they're still denying the lordship of Jesus. Okay, they don't want anything to do with him. They're like, don't post that he's the Jewish king. He's not. Just post that he said that he, he thinks he's the Jewish king or he claimed to be the Jewish king. They are trying everything they possibly can to separate themselves from the lordship of Jesus. Keep, keep reading here. Verse 23. 
When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. Okay, remember, there was four soldiers in that thing around the guy being crucified going through the city. So four, four um, soldiers dividing his, his clothes into four parts. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened, again, another prophecy here, that the scripture might be fulfilled that says they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did, okay? That prophecy there is referencing Psalm 22, where it literally says that they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Now, every Jew... Every single Jew in this time wore five articles of clothing. How many articles of clothing do you have on right now? Don't say it out loud, but just think it in your mind. Some of you hopefully have more than one. You guys are dead this morning. It's okay. I know it's hot. Uh, Five articles of clothing. Every Jew at that time, they would have worn these five things, okay? They would have worn sandals or something for their feet. They would have worn a turban, which is like a cloth kind of headwear, okay? They would have worn a girdle, which is like a belt. And they would have worn a tunic, which is like the classic kind of think like oversized t-shirt borderline dress that you wrap the girdle belt around and it kind of gives you the whole almost like Roman soldier or ancient person vibe. And then the fifth and final thing, they would have, they would have worn an outer robe, which would have just kind of been that layer on top of the tunic. Okay? Four soldiers, five articles of clothing. It says they cast lots, which thinks that they just like roll dice, okay? They cast lots for each of the first four pieces of clothing, and then there's the fifth, clo- the fifth piece, the tunic, the seamless tunic that's left over. And so they cast lots for who got that one. Now, what's interesting about that, other than it, again, fulfills another prophecy about the Messiah written generations before Jesus one of the things that's interesting and kind of ironic is that the chief priest also wore a seamless tunic. And the chief priest was the one who would offer the sin sacrifices for the people at the temple. Interesting. So, get the picture. We have Jesus, God in the flesh, holy, innocent, pure, righteous. Jesus, he's bloody, He is beaten, mocked, spit on, the whole thing. They ripped his beard out of his face. He's exhausted. He's abandoned by all the people, especially his disciples. So he's abandoned. They took his clothes so we know he's naked with nails in his hands, a nail on his feet, and he's hanging on a cross in front of a major metropolitan area with tons of people coming and going and seeing. I don't know if I can imagine something that's worse than that. Not just the physical pain, not just the public shame, but also the separation between God the Father and God the Son spiritual separation. That's our passage. As brutal as this passage is, friends, it's filled with incomparable beauty. 
I want to end with this, okay? I got about 15 minutes, 10, 10 minutes. This passage, it shows us, it showcases three incredible things for us. The first thing is this, it shows us that God's in control. Like he's executing his plan. All right, all the prophecies we talked about, right? All the parallels to the Old Testament, it shows us God's completely in control. Let's get real for a second, okay? Let's stop being the like crowd and the speaker <laughs> for just a minute. Like for you, some of you, there's things in your life right now that are causing you to feel anxious. Like when you're by, you're like, uh, I can feel the anxiety rising. There's things in your life that are causing you to feel worried. Things in your life that are causing you to feel afraid. Like, God, where are you? Or there's things that have been done to you or that you've experienced in your life where you're like, God, where were you? Think like Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus dies. What do they say to Jesus? Where were you? If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you cared, if you loved. Where are you? Where were you? Friends, listen to me. The cross, it shows us that despite evil, despite suffering, despite even death, God is in complete control. And what's he doing? He's bringing about good. And you'd be like, what good could come from crucifixion? It's the climax of the gospel. It's the climax. It's the pinnacle of the good news of who God is and what he's doing and what he's done. Right? Like that he came in the first place, that he lived the perfect life in our place that you and I never could live. And then he died the death on the cross that you and I deserve for the ways that we reject him, for the ways that we don't trust him, for the ways that we participate in sin and releasing it into the world. Fourth of July, Jesus suffered so that we could be free. He was punished so we wouldn't be. We get his record. Like, are you guys familiar with not just what the cross did in terms of like it, it saved us from the penalty of our sin, right? We're forgiven for our sins, okay? Jesus, Jesus on the cross, it, 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 it frees us from the penalty of sin. That's forgiveness, right? Jesus punished, not me. Jesus punished, not you. But it does more than that. It's more than just, just, you know, freedom from the penalty of sin. It's freedom from the power of sin, from, from, from the allure of sin. The scriptures talk about how about fallen men and women, we can't say no to the sinful desires of our flesh. Maybe you can try really hard for like a day or two. Good, good luck getting through the day. Let's just be real. Maybe you can say no to some of the scandalous sins, but can you say no to the things that happen in your heart that nobody else hears or sees? It's, it's impossible. And because of Jesus, his, his, his display of love on the cross, now it motivates us to desire things more than our fleshly desire to reject God and his ways. Now I want to obey him. I want sin less. I want sin less. I want to obey him and please him and enjoy him more because of the cross. So it's not just freedom from the penalty of sin. Now it's freedom from the power of sin. Like the slave master that you can't say no to. Now I can say no. Because my desires are different. I genuinely want something different more. 
than I want my fleshly desires. And not just that, but it's freedom ultimately from the presence of sin forever. No more brokenness, no more evil, no more death, no more suffering, no more tears. Despite evil, despite suffering, and despite even death, God is in complete control and he's bringing about good. Romans 8, 28, uh, put it up. I put it in the New Living Translation because I love this. Romans 8, 28. And we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God's purposes are good despite the evil Despite the brokenness, this passage, it shows us that even when things don't make sense or, or it's painful or there's suffering or we don't understand, even when the Messiah is being murdered and you don't get it, this doesn't, I can't compute this, this doesn't make sense. Even when the Messiah is murdered, even when the diagnosis comes back and it's terrible, even when we experience tragic, painful losses in our lives, the cross, it means that despite evil and suffering and death, God is in control and he's executing his master plan for good despite the evil. Friends, the cross means that despite even awful circumstances, we don't have to give in to fear. We don't have to give in to worry. We don't have to give in to anxiety because God is always in control and he's executing his redemptive plan. Spoiler alert too, like you, not in this passage, it's coming next week, but I don't know if you know this, Jesus actually rises from the dead, <laughs> right? He's raised to life. The resurrection of Jesus, the day is coming when just like Jesus is, is resurrected and restored, all the brokenness in life will be eliminated. Sin and death will be no more, Okay? when God's plan of redemption is completed, like when it's completely fulfilled, there'll be none of that. Friends, God is in control. He's executing his plan of redemption. The second thing that this passage shows us is that God is trustworthy. Listen to me on this one. God is trustworthy. He does what he says he's going to do. He keeps his promises. I don't have time this morning I referenced it a little bit, but go read Psalm 22 sometime. If you're taking notes, just write down Psalm 22. Go read Psalm 22 sometimes. We referenced it before when we talked about, you know, the casting of the lots and how they, when, they, when they cast lots for his clothing, that that was, you know, a, a prophecy being fulfilled. Go, that, that's from Psalm 22. But go read Psalm 22 because there are portions of Psalm 22 that are pretty much a play-by-play -play of what happens on the cross, written generations prior to Jesus. Friends, God does exactly what he says he's going to do, and that means he's trustworthy. Um, this has massive implications for our life, guys. Here's one of the ones that's been fresh. This has been so ministered to my heart um, recently even. Uh, so my family and I, for those of you guys that don't know, we... We, we, moved, we, we grew up here in the valley. We moved in 2012 to go plant what would be the first restored church. And it was amazing. It was incredible down in San Diego. And then three years after that, moved with the next church plant to get that church settled 
two years after that, so five years total, God gave us the assignment to come back here, plant restored Temecula. And it's been an incredible journey. It's been, there's been plenty of temptation to be afraid and to be concerned and to be anxious and all those things, but we've watched God do incredible things. One of the challenges in that season has been just the effect that it has on a household. Because it's not just like, it's not just um, having to leave a community that you dearly love and a, like that you're integrated into. That's a, that's a painful thing. I don't know many of you guys have experienced that. It's a painful, challenging, hard thing. It's not just that. It's the physical relocation for a household each time. And that can be challenging. It can be unsettling. It can be really hard, especially on kids. And so one of the things that we've just prayed for for years is like, God, can we, two things, can we have a season where we're settled for a while? And two, can we, can we have a home of our own? Can we please have, not, not like, not just to have the house, you know, so you can do all the stuff to it, but just so that like, for the home aspect of it, of being rooted and being settled and not like being at the whim of the landlord who could not renew my, ne- my lease next year and then we got to uproot again and the girls have a new bedroom and then all this stuff, right? Or if he wants to raise the, the rent on us and it's like, crap, that's more than we can afford. Like all that kind of upheaval and stuff. And so we prayed, we've like, God, we want to be rooted so bad. We want to be established so bad. We want to be settled so bad. Would you bless us with a home of our own so we're not kind of subject to all the back and, back and forth of relocation and stuff? And I'll be real with you, man. In my worst moments, just being kind of vulnerable with you, don't judge me. You're just, you need Jesus too. But in my, my worst moments, if I'm honest, like it's been a source of pain for us as a family. It's been a source of pain. Like knowing beyond the shadow, like for certain, God has called us here to Temecula. He brought us here. We're so grateful to be here. We have no plans of ever leaving. We know that he's called us here. And, we, and, and that, that, that pain is like wanting for our family, for our household to be settled here. And so like I said, for years, just like, God, will you, will you provide a house of our own? Not for the home, not for the house, but for the home. And guys, consistently, I feel like God just keeps saying, yeah, Yeah, I will. (laughs) When, Lord? Like, yeah, I will. And I'm like, okay, when, right? How? Like, you guys know the housing market here is just bananas. It's insane, right? Feels almost impossibly out of reach. Hear me. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but I know he said it. I know he said it. Friends, this passage, it shows us if God says he's going to do something, guess what he's going to do? He's going to do it. Absolutely. Why? Because he's trustworthy. He says what he's going to do, and then he does it. Listen to me. Some of you are waiting on a promise of God. You're waiting on a promise from God, like maybe for the singleness stuff. I desire a spouse and I'm waiting and I feel like God said yes, but when is it gonna happen? For some of you, if with family stuff, it's like, like a baby, a growing family. When? I think about baby Bennett and the journey of like, God, you, yes. Like 
and now he's here. It's beautiful. I think about those of you guys that you know that God has invited you to, to take steps into your calling, deeper into your calling. And there's these promises associated with that. For some of you, it's like salvation of a loved one. Someone you love dearly where you're like, I, f- I feel like God has said that he's going to save this person, but it's not happened yet. Like waiting on things that you know God has said. If God has said something and it hasn't happened yet, he's not finished. Friends, the Israelites waited generations for their Messiah. generations for their Messiah. God said the Messiah would come and he would, he would suffer and die in the place of his people and it happened just like God said it would. When God says he's gonna do something, he does it, friends. So even if we don't agree with the timing or even if we don't understand, God always keeps his promises and that means he's trustworthy. You with me? All right, I'll wrap up with this. I'll call the band up and the ministry team up if you guys want to maybe make your way to the side over here. Okay. Now comes my favorite part of the sermon by far. Passage shows us three things. Let's review really quick. God is in control, right? He's executing his plan always. It's for good. He's trustworthy, right? He does what he says he's going to do. And the third thing that this passage shows us, and this is my favorite one, it shows us that God loves you. It shows us that God loves you. Why do all these prophecies and parallels through the Old Testament stuff, why do they matter so much? I gave you, there's so many of them. I gave you like four or five because they reveal that God was orchestrating a master plan. A a master plan. Hear me. God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, right? They devised a master plan that involved them being separated from each other spiritually at the cross. And we talked about this. Like there's... There's nothing worse than being separated from someone you love. Why would, why would they do that? Uh, you ever tried to mix oil and water? Have you ever tried to do it while you're cooking? <laughs> don't do it. Because they don't, they don't mix. You'll you find that out really, really quickly, right? They, they, they stay separate no matter what. Even if you're like making like salad dressing where, you know, you shake it up and you could still see the oil has not mixed with the water. They stay separate. The same is true for a sinner and a holy God. The same thing is true with a sinner and a holy God. They stay separate. They cannot mix, right? But here's the thing. There's nothing worse than being separated from someone you love. Hear me. Your sin, my sin, it separates God from you. It separates God from me. So do you get it? Do you see what's happening here? 
the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest act of love in the history of the world. I'm gonna say that again. It is the greatest act of love in the history of the world. It's God executing his master plan to do whatever it takes to be with you. God doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't brush it under the rug. But instead of punishing the sinner, God punished the son in their place. Jesus, right? The holy and innocent one. He receives the punishment while the sinner receives Jesus' perfection. It's called the great exchange. The sinner gets the perfection of Jesus. Jesus gets the punishment of the sinner. So here's what I want you to do this morning. 4th of July, 2021. I want you to look. I want you to look at the lengths that God has gone to to remedy the separation between you and him. Friends, no one will ever love you like he loves you. No one will ever want you as much as he wants you. The cross is all the proof you'll ever need of your value, of your worth, and of his love for you. Kicking butt at your job? No. Impressing people? All that's temporary. Maybe it lasts a year, a little more. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am convinced, is it up there? Thank you guys. I am convinced that nothing can ever, what? Separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. The cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus. The lengths that God has gone to to remedy the separation between him and you. Some of you feel inadequate. Some of you feel like you're not enough. Some of you feel like maybe you're too bad. There's things that like, ah, the blood of Jesus hasn't fully washed all of me. <laughs> Friends, on the, on the cross, Jesus paid the debt of all of your sin. All of it. The stuff that nobody knows about. Paid the debt of sin in full. He was punished for all of your sin. For all the times you missed the mark. For all the ways you separate yourself from him. Why did he do it? He's in control. He's trustworthy. And he loves you. That's why. He's in control. He's trustworthy and he loves you. Friend, are you a Christian? I don't mean like culturally Christian. Like you go to church, you can't go to church. The church is a people. Are you Christian? Maybe more specifically, have you received these truths? Like received them, believed them, trusted them that he's in control, he's trustworthy and he loves you. 
Let's get even more specific. Have you received these truths today, this morning? God is in control. He's trustworthy and he loves you. Hear me, these three truths, these three truths will guard you against the lies of Satan from satanic, demonic deceptions that come at you all day, every day. The thoughts that go through your mind. These three truths are literally the weapons you need to defeat those lies, not if, but when they come at you. Okay, lies that God's not in control. God's absent. Where are you? Where were you? The lie that he's not trustworthy. You gotta, you gotta take matters into your own hands. He, what's the fake passage of scripture? God helps those who help themselves. People say that. They quote it like it's Bible. It's not in the, it's not in the Bible. The lie that he's not trustworthy, so you need to take matters into your own hands. The lie that, yeah, he, he might love others. He might love other people, the people sitting around you, but he doesn't love you. Lies. Hear me. If you've been really hot sitting in this room and you've had a hard time listening to anything I've said, hear me now. The cross of Jesus is proof that God is in control. He's trustworthy and he loves you. Nothing can ever take that away. It's finished, it's accomplished. Freedom, freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood the most precious thing in the universe. Thank you that you don't just like use words, although you do use words masterfully, but thank you that you use action to demonstrate who you are. You're in control, you're king, you're Lord. You're trustworthy, you do what you say you're gonna do. And you love us at great cost to yourself, sacrificially. So my prayer is that for every single one of us in this room this morning, that through the rest of this week, for the rest of our lives, when we're faced with things that are coming at us, our response would be, no, God is in control. He's trustworthy and he loves me. No, God is in control and he's trustworthy and he loves me. And the cross is proof. Thank you, Jesus for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness and for your goodness. We love you. Amen. All right, friends. Um, for the next, I don't know, 15 minutes, maybe a little longer, uh, I want us to give ourselves to responding to God. Um, individually, you yourself, I think there's things that God might be stirring up in your heart of maybe some lies that you need to renounce in your life and receive more of the truth of his love for you, of his sovereignty over your life, over his trustworthiness for the timing. Um, So there's men and women off to the side here, trustworthy, wonderful men and women who are made themselves available to pray for you. I feel like God maybe even is highlighting if you have some ailments you want healing for, 
come get, come receive prayer. If there's spiritual ailments that you want healing for, come receive prayer. The band's gonna minister to us. This is a time for us to press into the Lord, to receive from him and to offer him praise and response <laughs> to the cross, baby, to the goodness of who he is and what he's done. So I'm gonna invite you to stand if you're able. Enjoy him. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. So uh, I shared earlier that, that we went to uh, Puerto Rico for uh, nine days. And there were a lot of challenges along the way to getting there. One of them was that in 2020, uh, car rental companies survived by selling off cars. So there was a shortage of cars on our island and it was tough to get one. And then when we, when I saw what they were going for, almost out of principle, I was like, I won't pay it. It was six and a half months worth of car payments for nine days of a rental. Six and a half months of car payments to rent a car for nine days. That's what it took. And we, we couldn't be without a car. So it was one of those moments where I was like, So we did it. And it was a moment where I had no idea that God was at work in that moment. It was a moment where I actually had to yield control. I had to take a, take a leap, take a risk. And then what happened? Uh, the car that we got, I got it. We had to wait like two hours, I got it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is too small. It was the small SUV. We don't, we can't really operate with the small SUV when we're on vacation. So trying to pack the kids in there and then pack our luggage in there and then pack a stroller. It was, I was just, I was so upset trying to make this work. And then I realized, oh shoot, everything fits minus the stroller. And then Heather was like, oh, it's a $5 stroller, leave it. <laughs> so somebody has a stroller and stand up on the touch. But why am I telling you this, uh, this little story. Um, I think it was a moment where I needed to, to learn what Tom was talking about today. God's in control. He's trustworthy and he loves me. I'm not kidding when I say that we got a check from someone who had no idea that what we were going through that covered the entire rental to within $3. He loves you. He's in control. He's trustworthy. What do you have today? What do you have today that you need him to come through? What's on your mind? What's been stirring up in you as Tom was preaching, as we were worshiping? What is it that you need God to do today? Can I share a piece of advice? Trust him and take a leap. You have no idea the ways in which he might come through for you. And what happens when that happens? Faith, praise, worship, trust, a changed life. I'm never, never going to look at, well, I shouldn't say never. I'm human. I'm going to, I'm going to really try to never look at an ex, unexpected expense the same way again because of the ways in which God has come through. He's teaching me something and he's teaching us something as a church. What do you need today? Maybe it's about with addiction. 
where you need to take trust him and take a leap to actually confess that and bring that out into the light. Maybe it's relational pain that you're experiencing. Maybe it's anxiety that's crushing you, that's crippling you. There was a picture earlier when we were all praying over here about, about that, about anxiety, about God taking care of the flowers of the field. How much more will he care for you? And I think the picture, I think it was Sarah who got it. It was like a focus on one little flower. Do you, do you know that there's, there's Josh, my son, reminds me all the time, there's 8 billion people in the world. He loves numbers. That's true. And he takes care of billions, but he cares for the one, for you. What do you have today that you need? I want to encourage you, before you leave, go get prayer. These are some amazing people on the side over here that, have been, that were praying for you this morning. We're just outside those doors. And God was speaking. He was saying things. He was preparing a way for you to experience his love and his grace today. Go get it. Take a risk. Trust him and take a risk. I want to pray for us. Father, thank you that you are so trustworthy. That you, that you are in control, trustworthy, and that you love us. And I thank you for all the ways you're teaching me that over and over again. Here I am, walking with Jesus for, for a while, a pastor, and I need these reminders all the time. And I think every single one of us who's here needs these reminders all the time. I pray for you to meet with your people today. I pray for faith to, to rise up in our people, in every single person in this room. And for those that you're moving and you're, you're pressing it upon their hearts to quit prayer, I pray that they would. That they would take a risk. They would trust you and take a risk. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, know that you are loved. People are going to be here praying, ready to pray for you. We'll be up here if you want to chat. We love you. Enjoy this holiday weekend. We'll see you soon.